Hey Star Wars fans, welcome to another episode of the Jedi Council podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm your host Alex and with me for the most part always and forever will be my good friend, my buddy, my brother in the force, Dave. Say hello Dave. Hello Dave. Hey, we keep nailing that I have to, one. I have to. It's, 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 it's now the way we do it. I think it is, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll celebrate that too much, but it is. it should be the way it's done. <laughs> And, and tonight is extra special as we have another member uh, of the Jedi Council joining us this week. He made his debut uh, on a Rebels wrap-up show with me last time out, and he's joining us today for the first time on the official uh, series of shows to Ali Clark. Say hello, Ali. Hi, everyone. I'm not going to do hello, Ali. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh. oh, fair enough. No, fair play. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Ali, for joining us. Clearly, you enjoyed yourself first time round. Uh, otherwise, you won't be back for seconds. No, it was really good fun. And um, even if we, we did go on a little bit, but I really enjoyed it. I thought we got to the subject matter of a lot of really interesting areas. And thinking back on it, it's really made me think again about Star Wars and preparing for this particular podcast. Oh, good to hear, good to hear. And I know, Dave, you are playing catch-up when it comes to Rebels, which is the reason why you obviously didn't join that uh, particular podcast. But uh, how far are you into the show now for Rebels? Two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through season three. So I'm a full season behind. That said, I still <laughs> listened to your podcast and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It was really good. Thank you. Oh. Good to hear. So hopefully we didn't spoil it too much. Well, we probably did. Uh, well, I've seen bits and pieces online already. It's hard to avoid it when it was all over social media. The social media maybe that I listen, I did watch and, and listen to. Uh, it was all over that. So I'd already picked up all the, the salient points, I think. It was nice to hear it, though, coming from the two of you, where it was an actual discussion around what, what you'd seen, rather than it just being sound bites. No, it was good. Thank you. Yeah, I think we enjoyed it. You know, um, for the benefit of the listeners, whenever we do these podcasts, generally speaking, I'm here in uh, in Colchester, in uh, out in Essex in the UK. Dave is based in just the north of Manchester in a place called Ramsbottom, uh, and Ali is in South London in a place called Deptford. So we're we're kind of here, there, and everywhere. But when we did the Rebels wrap up, uh, Ali and I were in his flat in South London. Uh, so it was kind of nice to have face to face. And you know, I think at some point in time we need to have a full on Jedi Council session with all of us around the mic, face to face. Brilliant! Yeah, maybe even something live on Twitter with Periscope or something. You read my mind then, mate. It's like you've got force abilities. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think we should definitely do that. Uh, start engaging. I saw a comment earlier on on Twitter, funnily enough, saying, what time are you guys recording, uh, assuming that we were going to be live when we put it out there that we were doing a podcast? So that's the kind of thing we want to hear, I suppose. And we need to make sure we do it at a time that suits our, our followers in the UK, but hopefully your followers in Europe and in, in the US, as we've got, we've got a growing fan base at the moment, which is a good thing. Yes, that um, quote was actually from a guy called Jake. Really nice guy. Really nice guy. Jake Obadiah. Shout out to Jake. Is he based in the US? He is based in the US. Oh, yes, yeah, so his Twitter is um, at IamWolf714. A very random Twitter Twitter handle, but fair Ooh. play. No, fair enough. We, we take everyone that we're listening. You know, Star Wars is all encompassing. Uh, we aren't kind of any anywhere you're shape or form looking for people to go away. We love all Star Wars fans. We love everyone who wants to have a listen. Let's be honest, it is Star Wars after all. So tonight you're in for a treat, listeners. Um, 
for those of you who have obviously caught up with the Rebels podcast last time out, Ali's obviously was on that with me. But what you should also be aware of is that both Ali and Dave have added some incredible articles uh, onto the Jedi Council website. And the reason why we've got them both on today is to kind of have a episode three of a Last Jedi review. We've got in the red corner, Dave, uh, not the biggest fan <laughs> of the film, I think that's fair to say. Dave, you've still only seen it once, right? I have. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the blue corner, uh, we have Ali, uh, very much uh, a fan of the film. You've seen it three, four times now, mate? Yeah, yeah, three times I've seen it. Um, yeah, I was there on opening night, the same as Dave, but I, I liked it so much after opening night, I went and watched it again the next day, and I managed to wait a week. But unfortunately after that, your podcast came out. And, and so, well, I've got to be honest, since I've written that article... Uh, you know, I'm a pragmatic chap. I've had a chance to think about some of the issues you raised. And I agree with some, not all, <laughs> but I agree with some points that were made. And I think I think an interesting place almost to start this conversation is I do think it will mean different things to different people based on their level of fandom. Mm-hmm. So by that, what I mean is, is I would say... Uh, Dave and Alex, you are uber super Star Wars fans, right? So if I was to take you to your favourite casino world, which you hate, and you see a little, you see a little alien chucking some coins into BBA, do either of you know the name of the alien? I barely, no. I barely remember the name of the planet. It was it was it was Canto useless place, wasn't it? Canto it CGI, was wasn't it? Yeah, it, it isn't it? But this this sort of proves my point. Canto you... pointless. <laughs> oh god. Canto button. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The Canto CGI fest for no reason. <laughs> Bite. Okay, okay. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> but but my point being is, if this was any other Star Wars film, you probably would know that Alien by now. Yes. And so it has really sort of impacted your ability to connect with the film and in particular this, let's call it trilogy and and continuation of the storyline. And and I think there are different ways that people have watched this based on their level of fandom. And it it was actually what Alex and I touched on in the last podcast that made me think about this when Alex said about if you saw Kylo Ren talking to Darth Vader's helmet, you would not know who that was if that was the first Star Wars film you saw. Mm. And I think people connected with this film based on what they understand Star Wars to be. So for some people, it could be just uh, an escapist piece to the cinema, which is something to go and watch, set in space, really enjoyable, extravaganza to the eyes, because it is well edited and the cinema photography is good. And someone like my girlfriend, who thinks it's her favourite film, I kind of asked her why, and they're the two reasons why. She she wanted to look at it from the perspective of a beautifully shot film, I can give or take the plot line. And I think the next level of fan is someone like me, who watches all the cartoons, films, dives into the book, but is not a big collector, not a big reader of some of the extra materials. And I enjoyed it for what it was, thought it was really good. But then when I start speaking to someone who maybe knows the film a bit better, like yourself, Dave or Alex, and you say, well, what about this? What about this? What about that? And you start looking into it a bit more. 
you can't help but notice your points are valid. Can't help but notice it. Hmm. One one thing I would comment on there, because going all the way back to almost the beginning of what you said there, that as Alex said in the podcast for Rebels, the fact that if this was your entry point into, or I suppose the film before was your entry point into Star Wars, and you saw uh, Kylo Ren holding the, the, the helmet of Vader and, and talking to it and referring to his grandfather. I would argue that, that irrespective of whether that was your first film or not, you would know who that helmet was because you've got 40 years of culture and it's, it's now, Star Wars has become much bigger than just the films. It's ingrained into so many aspects of popular culture that you can't avoid not knowing that that helmet is Darth Vader's helmet. Darth Vader was a was a villain. Darth Vader was evil. This guy then is holding this helmet and he's talking to it and calling it grandfather. So he's obviously the grandson of Darth Vader. Mm. Oh, this guy must be a bad guy. Yeah, and I think kind of just jumping on that to a different extent is if you look at the comment that. Luke in The Last Jedi calls his lightsaber a laser sword. You know, mm. that 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 didn't sit well with me because I think this kind of emphasises your point, Ali, that, you know, when, when Ray hands over the lightsaber to Luke, if this is the first ever Star Wars film I've ever seen and I see Luke call it a laser sword, I'm going to think, oh, cool, it's a laser sword. That's great. Yep. But then if I wasn't aware of the movies or popular culture, to your point, Dave, I'm sitting there going, wait, no, that's a lightsaber. You know, yeah. you are, and as the super fan that we kind of label ourselves with, I'm looking at there going, wait, hold on. Luke has trained as a Jedi for 40 years. He knows it's a lightsaber. He knows that's what it is. That's no. He knows it's the weapon of a Jedi. And to call it a laser sword, while clearly it was meant to be flippant stroke tongue-in-cheek, as a fan, I'm sitting there going, the Luke Skywalker would never say that because he knows no. exactly what it is. And I think that's where your, your point is very valid, Ali, in that certain people will pick out certain things depending on how yeah. you view a film, a film, this film, or this series of films, as the case may be. Yeah. And... No, sorry, go on, Sorry. No, to, to go to um, Alex's column there about laser swords... I've got two young boys, which we've discussed on previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more, I mean, they, they're 11 and 8 now, but even when they were very young, they played with laser swords, but they knew they were called lightsabers. They've never been anything but lightsabers. Even when you pick up an unbranded one in the shop somewhere and it's, it just glows sparkly, it, it doesn't even need to be a a proper branded lightsaber, you pick it up and it may say laser sword on the packaging, yeah. but you pick it up and, and the kid goes, it's a lightsaber, dad. It's a lightsaber. Yeah. No, it's yeah. funny you say that because uh, a few months back, just before Christmas, um, I took my four-year-old nephew uh, with my wife to go and see Disney on ice. Uh, trust me, I know where I'm going with this. I know it sounds a little bit random, um, <laughs> but <laughs> he he's four. We, we looked at the store. We turned up at Disney on Ice in Sheffield uh, and there was a little stall outside the front and there was an array of flashing lights, flashing yes. ears. You get them everywhere. Yeah. Yes. And he saw something that caught his eye 
and now he's four years old, right? He's never actually seen Star Wars. He's only ever seen or heard of you know stories that me or his father, who's also like my brother-in-law, said about Star Wars. He's gone. I want the lightsaber. Now, it wasn't a lightsaber. It's a glow-up stick that had a star on the top. But nevertheless, <laughs> he called it a lightsaber because he'd always heard me and uh, Martin speak about lightsabers or he has a book which is five-minute stories about Star Wars um, where it mentions lightsabers. So he's seen it and gone, I want a lightsaber. And he's four. But, but can I point out that there is a slight problem with what you're saying, though? You're talking about children in Britain and maybe even America, where it's a sophisticated cinema-going audience who've been watching Star Wars and it's been in popular culture. Star Wars is not trying to just appeal to those people anymore. It's trying to appeal to places like China, the Far East, Australasia, places where it's not quite so ingrained. And Ooh. so by calling it a light, a light sword is what it is to those people. We're no longer talking about a uh, West versus East type argument. Uh, no, no, uh, I, I, I think you're wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, go on, Dave. I know where you're going with this. Okay. Um, Do you think the Chinese know as much about Star Wars as a kid in America? Well, no, but it's going to get translated into whatever language it wants. So when Luke picks up the, the sword in um, The Last Jedi then throws it over his shoulder, calls it a, uh, uh, he calls it a lightsaber, it will be translated in that local market in China into whatever they want to translate it as. Mm. And they can translate it as laser sword. If that's a, yeah. that's a, a tidier translation. So, yeah. so no... I don't. I don't agree that's with that. Exactly part, point, but that's exactly my point. That's my. So I don't. I don't. I don't so agree they, with they that. They would bit. call it a laser sword to make it easy for everyone to digest. Yeah, but they'd call it a laser sword in the local language more so than the yes. need for it to be called it in the film. I think that's the yes. point. In that, you know, let's take Han Solo, uh, the movie, for example. Right, we've seen the new posters that have come out this week. Um, the ones that were released from Brazil. Um, in Brazil, the film's being called Han Solo a Star Wars story. In the UK and the States, it's being called Solo, a solo story. In, um, is it Japan or China or something like that? They're calling it the Solo Ranger because it's mm. an appropriate title for that market to a, it's like appeal, better, for want of a better phrase. Um, and also the translation would then be put into a wording that makes sense for that market to go out and understand what it means. So calling it a laser sword in the film isn't necessarily just to make it slightly more international. It's, in my mind, it's kind of Ryan Johnson going, I'm going to take the mickey out of the name of this sword. Now, that's probably not his intention. (laughs) That's probably not his intention. It's probably just a whimsical comment. But nevertheless, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I think that's my right to approach that entire movie, though. But but also, sorry, to to carry on to um, argue the point with Ali here about the different... Uh, languages and nations um, through social media and through my my love of Star Wars and and their love of Star Wars. I'm in touch with people in the US, but I'm also in touch with people in Australia. I'm in touch with people in Germany, in the Netherlands. They're all Star Wars fans, and they've all trans transcended the use of English. Even the Australians have managed to grasp the the, the, the English. So. <laughs> You've, you, they all refer to it as lightsabers. No matter which which language you're in, it's a lightsaber. Mm. It, it might be that it's translated for certain local markets to become laser sword, but it didn't have to be said that in the English version, in the English speaking version. I 
I think I think though, if you think about it, we all work in marketing here as well, right? If you're producing a million lightsabers, call them light swords, put light swords on the side of it instead of lightsabers, it's much cheaper to produce. And Disney are in a game where they're trying to sell toys as well. So I think there are benefits to calling it a light sword and re-educating audiences to that. Even if it if goes you're looking against... at it from a marketing perspective, yeah, Ooh, but I yeah. hope Disney are not going to destroy it. Yeah, like I was going to say that goes against they, thousands and thousands of years of Star Wars. I bloody hope not. Trick down for mass media. Yeah, exactly. But surely, by watering it down, you ruin the essence of it. You're also taking away years of history. You know that if you take. The Clone Wars, where they talk about... Uh, I know that wasn't made by Disney, but you talk about characters like Darth Bane, who they've brought into canon. Sidious talks about people who have been around for years. The Star Wars universe, <clears throat> as it currently is, is thousands of years old. You can't have one film that turns around to just completely ignore it as a market employer. Or can you? I don't know. I'd like to think Well, they not. did. I'd like to <laughs> think, well, there's, there's, certain, there's certain things that are... They are Star Wars. You, it's, it, okay, Jedi, Sith, lightsaber, the term Darth before a villain's name. Those are all concepts which have been now with us for 40 years. Yeah. You, 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 you launched a film 40 years ago, or 41 but, years ago now, George Lucas did, and he referred to them as lightsaber. It would have been a lot easier for him to refer to them as a laser sword. But you're talking about a trilogy that has moved away from the Jedi and Sith. Sort of. The film was called The Last Jedi. There is no Sith. Yeah, the only argument... No, there is no Jedi anymore. Well, Well, that's what I mean. So so they are moving away from that. Yeah, but... You might as well change the the name of Blasters then. You might as well... These are what... I can understand you moving away from the concept of a Jedi and a Sith. They're two schools of thought that use the Force. I can understand moving away from that and do what you want with that because that's an evolution of the story. However, changing the name of a fundamental item is different. And also, just to kind of look at that, when the, 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 the thing that Ray gives Luke is his old lightsaber... It's his father's former lightsaber and the one that was made at the end of Revenge of the Sith when the light Jedi and the Sith were prominent, still going. For him to then call it a laser sword is a... I'm resisting swearing here. Uh, But it's, it's, it's a Mickey take... Of the, the words because literally not, Mickey, it is. He's taking the Mickey mm. Mouse. Literally Disney. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's the thing. He's... Not, the thing is, the sad thing is, none of us here are bashing Disney generally. So none of us are Disney haters. And I would uh, like quite the people that are listening, <laughs> listening to this podcast, to not think that we're just being disrespectful to this movie because we hate Disney. Because we don't. Mm. We, we all like what Disney have done. We all love Rebels. We all think that's worked really well. We all loved Rogue One. We thought that worked really well. I, I enjoyed The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe you two did as well. So we're not dissing Disney here, despite the fact that it appears that, that we're not necessarily agreeing maybe with what Disney want to do with this now. And I think to just to kind of progress the conversation, 
this the thing we're talking about is a scene in the last Jedi that lasted thirty seconds. Yeah, and it has prompted a fifteen-minute debate between the three of us, and I think yeah. this emphasizes the divisiveness of the Last Jedi. You know, something so small. Let's be honest; it's a thirty-second part of the film. It's it's not it's not core to the story. It's not core to the delivery. It's not core to the cinematic experience. But it is something that is incredibly sacred to a bunch of fans. Um, like those who have collected for years and been and, and you know been fan of the fr- franchise for years as well. Yet all of a sudden, this thirty second piece has caused a massive hysteria and a massive piece of debate. Um, and I think kind of, you know it, it just emphasises where we are with the Last Jedi. Yeah, but can I can I can I just add to that because I don't think it is just debate. I think it's trying to understand something that we as fans struggle to to understand and almost shouldn't need to be explained. So it's not just a debate, it's trying to find meaning as to why they did it. And I think that's an interesting point because, you know, on, on the on the previous two podcasts where Dave and I review The Last Jedi, um, we make reference to this week on Ryan Johnson Explains. Um, <laughs> the fact that this film has had a lot of explanation needed wasn't in its favour. Um, and I was listening to... Another Star Wars podcast. I know I shouldn't do their their rivals technically. No, <laughs> we're one big family, right? So it doesn't matter. Um, so I was listening to a podcast where Carl Newman, who is a huge Star Wars fan and, and movie producer, the the comment that he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, was a good movie shouldn't need explaining. The story should do the explaining for it, or worse to that effect. And I'm sitting there listening to this, thinking, a that's incredibly poignant because the amount of explanation that is needed for this film. I've never seen anything like it in Star Wars world. You know, we have episodes of Rebels and we have episodes of Clone Wars that have delved deep into the, the mindset of the Force and the way the Force works that didn't need explaining. The story just did. And, um, you know, when The Force Awakens came out and when Rogue One came out, there was no explanation needed. But now all of a sudden we have this new film. That That's has... sort of true. What do you mean? Well... To take you back a, a little story for us, so two of my friends were cast as stormtroopers. I was too short to be a star troop, stormtrooper <laughs> for the reshoots for Rogue One because I've got a friend who was he's got a friend who's a second director on the Star Wars films, and apparently the first cut was so unwatchable. That's why they had to do so many reshoots. So I think I think people have very much taken that in mind actually. And we've seen it with Solo as well, where there's been a new director put on it, because they've seen the version, and maybe they've, there was too much explaining to be done. Uh, I wouldn't say reshoots is a reason for explanation. When you look at reshoots, are done on every single film, you know. Not like these two films. Uh, uh, arguably, they are. I mean, I've, you hear stories like Deadpool. You know, Deadpool Two is coming out in a couple of months, and they're doing reshoots like now, and the film's coming out in May. Um, it's because they want to try and get things right simultaneously. I think it's out the week before Solo. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's because it's gone in one direction with the director. Disney have seen it and said, that's not the way I want it to go. True, but they allowed the Ryan Johnson one to go yeah. through then. Well, that's, that's why maybe, I Maybe the bigger issue then is further up the food chain with Kathleen Kennedy. That's what I was going to suggest. 
Interesting. Any thoughts? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I remember, like, Dave, you mentioned this before uh, in one of the podcasts where we were saying that when we was at Celebration Europe in 20... Yes. 13? 2013. 2013, when the buyout happened, the release of Rebels happened, and they announced that there was going to be this new trilogy. She came out and said they're going to try and return Star Wars back to its... She didn't say former success because it has never no, been not a success, no. but she, no, she, 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 she traditional used, ways of filming, I think, was what she said. The lines yeah. of, um, we recognise what we did wrong or what, what didn't work quite so well mm. with the prequel trilogy. We've learnt from that. We've listened to the fans. We understand um, what appealed to the original yeah. fan base and, and perhaps where they went wrong with the prequels. And, and she, I remember being sat in the auditorium while she was saying this. So I, I was a live witness to her saying yeah. um, that the the next trilogy um, will learn from those mistakes. You will see a lot more live action, proper scripts being written by good writers. Um, you will see CGI used when CGI should be used rather than to just... Um, fill the senses with it was even linking back to the fact that they were using CGI to make up for a poor story and there was the the promise to the fans that we're moving back to what Star Wars is and yeah and I think where I was kind of going with that is that she learned under George Lucas right she was his number two number three at Lucasfilm for years, she worked with him on a variety of different films. And, you know, even I think she even worked with Steven Spielberg. I could be wrong. Uh, but she's got she a did. good she's got she a good did. education. She was a, a sub producer for ET. Yeah, she's got a good education in filmmaking. And when she came out and said that and was the head of Lucasfilm, I was like, you know what? Lucasfilm is in the best hands it can be. She she knows what she's talking about. Yet you see the direction that then all of a sudden we've gone with the last Jedi, which arguably is the complete opposite of what she said. Yeah. Yet when you look at the direction that Dave Filoni went down in Rebels, again to reference back to that, he again worked with George Lucas for, for years at the Clone Wars and has become Mr. Star Wars, for want of a better phrase. Uh and you know, we touched on this early in the in the Rebels uh podcast that a lot of people are saying, well, why doesn't he run Lucasfilm? Um, because he gets Star Wars. And I think that that brings about the conversation that is Kathleen Kennedy now bowing down to Disney, perhaps. Who knows? But nevertheless, the way the film has gone, you start to think, well, maybe there's another way that they're going to start making these movies. Yeah, why I... go down that route, though? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Dave, Dave do you feel almost let down and disappointed then with the way that the new films have gone based on what you were promised at Celebration? Not the new films. Um, The Force Awakens, for me, to be honest, (laughs) The Force Awakens, it was nostalgia-laden, possibly too much. I I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's one of of my favourite Star Wars movies. I do think it was perhaps a little bit too nostalgia-laden. There were too many references back to the original trilogy, but the bits that really mattered was the fact that the, the the amount of live action that happened in the movie, even to the point where BB-8 was a real droid, not a CGI thing, um, where the you see Ray on Jakku walk past the aliens that that are actual. You may have three or four people 
um, using animatronics to move some of these these creatures around. You had the same when you went to Mazzy's castle. So you, for me, The Force Awakens delivered on the promise. There was CGI in there. You're not going to escape CGI in a, in a, a science fiction fantasy. And it is fantasy, as, as Alex. But it's, it's a sci-fi. It's just, for, me, for me, it's a sci-fi fantasy. It's a fantasy story set in a futuristic setting. Um, a worn and tired futuristic setting. And again, that was something that you had in The Force Awakens. You had that tiredness, the worn effect. Now, you move to Rogue One, and again, it follows the same theme. You use CGI where CGI has an effect. So for a lot of the space battles, um, for a lot of the fast action pace pieces, there's heavy CGI. You've got a Death Star blowing up cities, so you're going to have to use CGI for that. I don't think you could do that in live action. But you've got the actual settings of um, the city of Jeddah, on, on, uh, yeah, the city of Jeddah, um, where it feels like you're actually in in almost like a Middle Eastern city, to be fair, um, with the bizarre-style marketplaces. You had the, um, the beach on Scarif. And again, it was all live action. It didn't feel like CGI was in there for CGI. You, you, you obviously had it in the background to, mm. to drop um, the attacks in and, and what have you, but you had real actors portraying real things happening in real time. You then jump to the, the the Last Jedi, and we've lost that. We've we've lost it. It's become entire sections of it were a massive CGI fest. If you have a look at Canto Bite is the biggest example of that, but also. I'm, I'm now thinking about this more so possibly than I did do last time. But you have a look at the um, the resistance cruiser that they're fleeing on the the uh, Radus. You have a look at the inside of that ship, and it looks like prequel prequel <laughs> era spaceships. It's all glistening, shiny white. It's supposedly a ragtag band of resistance fighters, and yet they're flying state-of-the-art equipment. Now, that's what you would normally associate with the Empire or with the First Order because they've got the money, they've got the power there. And yet, you, yeah, there were, to answer your question, um, um, there was, a, it does feel that there was broken promises in this movie. Yeah, because I, 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 I think you're completely right in everything you just said. The, the, the interesting thing, though, is, is that they built more live sets for this film than any other film before. But when it got to the final version, you wonder if they just filmed it and just cut it completely because there seems to be God knows how many outtakes of this film. Mm. Mm. And look at the, the amount of bonus features that are coming on the Blu-ray. You know, um, <clears throat> I think at one point they said there's going to be up to two hours of extra footage of this film. So you start yeah. to question, A, what makes up that two hours, and B, why were certain things left in and left out? You know, there's, there were obviously going to be reshoots, and they'll clearly do things in a certain way. Um, like the, re the recently released scene of, of Captain Phasma, 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the movie, she goes out, dare I say it, badly. <laughs> um, let's be honest, the way that she, she is perceived to, to be dead, like I said on the podcast, I don't think she is dead. But let's take it on face value, she is. Um, but the way her demise came around in that deleted scene, re-edited scene, whatever you want to call it, made so much more sense. Um, she, she's Captain Phasma's had this persona in in the media in the in the build up for the film. Um, she even got her own comic series where she's seen as being this ruthless stormtrooper. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, in in that particular scene where Finn calls her out as being a traitor, she sees the only four other people that can ever see this and takes them out in like two seconds. That's the kind of Captain Phasma we have been led to believe is the kind of person she is. That's the person that's in the comics, in, in, in the Captain Vasma book, which I have, but I haven't read it. Again, there's this whole persona, yet they drop in this scene into a film where she falls off a cliff. Or Just a <laughs> pretty weak death. <laughs> well, yeah, but does that, does that not then further echo almost what we were saying earlier about, I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty <clears> sure <throat> the original director's cut was about three and a half hours. And they had to get it down to two and a half, and it was quite reluctant to do that. Yeah, and so, that. and so, Phasma's got this whole backstory that people will know about, and you know, very interesting if you read comics, etc. But if you only just watch the films, as you say, completely weak and pointless character with a massive build-up, yeah, it just makes no sense. Yeah, and it's so, funny. I've seen comparisons of her character to Boba Fett from from the original trilogy. People have said Boba Fett has this reputation of being this this you know badass uh, bounty hunter, um, yet goes out like a punk in the Sarlacc pit. Yet the the counter argument for me is that when you look at Boba Fett in The Empire Strikes Back, he finds he captures Han Solo, he brings Han Solo to Jabba, he then is part of the foil to bring Luke onto uh, Tatooine. You know he he isn't just a bystander that gets killed. By some really rookie stormtrooper, <laughs> he gets taken out. Arguably lucky by Han Solo, but nevertheless, he has a hell of a lot more about him than what Phasma does. Phasma had. That, that, Go on, Dave. Yeah, I was just that also plays into what Han Solo is about: the fact that he's a man who doesn't believe in the Force, but fortune always smiles upon him. So he, I mean. He, he, <clears throat> In in a, a universe where the force does exist, you don't necessarily have to be a Jedi or Sith to be able to tap in to the force. So for me, Han Solo has always had that streak of luck that has got him through things by the skin of his teeth, just because he's able to manipulate the situation and things happen by chance in his favour. So for me, the the, the 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 way that he takes out Boba Fett was totally in character for the way that things just happen around Han Solo. I'd agree with that, and it'd be interesting to see if that theme continues in the film coming out in May. Mm. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with you, Dave. <laughs> it's funny because, like, while we're all on something that we all agree with, I think one takeaway from the Last Jedi that you know, we've all unanimously agreed on is that it is a visually stunning movie. Mm. Um, Excluding the Canto bite scene, I'm not going to reference that at all, but the scenes in space, the way it's, 
the choreograph, the way it's actually delivered and the cinematic experience of watching this film, it's it's a really nice thing to watch. It's probably the only good thing I'm, for the most part, taking out about this film. Um, and I think we can all... About the music. Yeah, well, John Williams never lets us down, let's be honest. I'm, I'm kind of gutted he never got an Oscar uh, for this, but nevertheless, um, <clears throat> and with episode nine being his last ever Star Wars film, you know, it's, it's we need to make the most of this genius while he's part of the uh, part of the uh, of the world. Um, but I think, yeah, going back to that visualization of the film, it is something we, we can all kind of agree on that that's it's a really nice looking movie. And I think as long as they continue to make these films in that manner, it's always going to be a good thing. It just always seems to be that story element, especially with the Last Jedi, that's let it down. Yes. But it, going back to the idea that this is, it was what, three and a half, four hour long film that's been edited down to, to what was still a long Star Wars film. It felt a long Star Wars film for me, sat through it. Um, <laughs> but that's for a different uh, reason, um, <laughs> But doesn't that imply that as a director, Ryan Johnson handled it badly in that he chooses to throw out a scene that shows Luke mourning the loss of his lifelong friend for the last 45 years in favour of watching Luke milk a sea seal, a space seal, and then drink it with a twinkle in his eye. That was slightly creepy and weird. I, I think you're right, Dave, and but, but I'd, I take a slightly different angle. I'm 90% with you on that. It's almost because I, I feel now more information has come out and we know that there was a plot and a timeline and how things were supposed to go and he just ignored it. He ripped it up. It's like you gave yes. the, you gave the keys to, to, to a car to a kid and he was like, this is how I want it to go. And in my article, I referenced the fact that he is known for having done two of the best episodes on Breaking Bad, which, you know, is all about suspense. You think it's going to go one way and it goes another way, which which I think this film does many times. But but when I look back at it now, you guys are exactly right. It's He has taken it and he said, this is how Rian Johnson thinks Star Wars is and not how George Lucas would think of Star Wars is, not how the perceived wisdom of Star Wars is. And, and I do think that is a major, major problem. Mm. And you've made reference there to the fact that um, uh, Daisy Ridley mentioned in a recent interview that when Ryan Johnson, is it Ryan or Rian? I always first with Ryan. But um, when he came on board, there were plots there was an overarching story theme that had already been put together by J.J. Abrams. And Ryan Johnson walks in and literally tears it up and says, you know what, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Like you're, 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 you're packed right. with a trilogy, mate. Yeah, and, and I think that's particularly shown in someone like Luke's story, where I think he's the only person who would have come up with that persona in the way that it is, because he wants him to be dark, misunderstood and alone. That's not who we understand. And you to be honest, when, when I was... Sorry, Tom. No, no, I'm just saying you could have done that better than that. Yeah, exactly right. And that's what I was going to say. So when I when I watched it first time or second time, I kind of thought, okay, interesting interpretation. I can see why after, you know, 30 years this has happened, that's happened, why you'd feel like that. But then 
you sort of mull it over for a, for a few weeks or months, and definitely after I wrote the article, and I started to think, well, actually, no, that's just not Luke. And you, 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 he may turn, and of course people do change, but you don't change that much. And I think he got that badly wrong. He did. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with you, that This, this was a, a character that you saw him cl- climb the highest mountain he could do when he was... A, a, a young man of, of 20-ish, he managed to face the most evil creature in the universe. He managed to convince his father that there was still love and that there was still a chance for redemption, despite him having 20 years of hatred and anger and destruction behind him. For him to then decide on a whimsy one evening that his nephew is evil and I'm going to kill him with a lightsaber was just, that's, that's, that's not who, that's not the Luke Skywalker that audiences have seen for the last 40 years. Yeah, I agree. Completely misjudged. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, no, I couldn't put it better myself to be fair. Um, it's funny. I saw a meme uh, on Facebook the other day where it had Luke holding Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi with Seize Man who has killed hundreds of millions of people, blown up a planet, yet can still see the good in him. And there's a picture of Kylo Ren looking scared in the scene from The Last Jedi where he's holding the lightsaber above him or whatever, saying, thinks he might turn a little bit bad, wants to kill him. Um, yeah. You know, even though, <clears throat> even though it's only a meme, it's... It's spot on. You've got this this icon of of pop culture that is the man who has redeemed Darth Vader. Darth Vader, the most hated man, that's probably the wrong word, but he's the most feared man in the galaxy. He is then able to be saved by his son, yet he can't save his nephew because he thinks he might turn a bit bad. And I'm like, you've completely missed the point of Luke Skywalker. You know, even... Even when before the film came out, we still had Mark Hamill coming out saying, I originally didn't agree with what Ryan Johnson decided to do with the character. And, and I'm thinking, if the main man who has played him, been him, lived him for the last God knows how many years completely disagrees, it's fundamentally wrong. And the fact that Ryan Johnson, I mean, Mark Hamill's slightly had a change of heart, apparently, but I'm being cynical here and think it's probably more from a media perspective and keeping everybody in-house in check type thing. But the fact that he came out and said that says it all in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that kind of takes us in a nice direction. Ali, you touched on earlier on that when you first saw the film for the first couple of times, you were quite... You know, we spoke pretty much straight away after you saw it the first and second time and said yeah. that you were quite... I don't want to say you were blown away, uh, but you was very impressed with the film. Yeah. When, I mean, when you first walked yeah. out the cinema, yeah. when, when Dave and I first walked out the cinema, we had a very similar reaction. We messaged each other quite frequently saying, what on earth have I just watched? What was, <clears throat> what was your initial reaction when you first walked out the cinema the first time you saw it? I, I think you almost need to go two steps back to, to answer that question for me. So my first point is, is um, I'm a massive Star Trek fan as well. 
And I'd been through J.J. Abrahams and what he'd done with Star Trek. And, you know, you know, with Khan and the Kelvin timeline <laughs> and basically taking most of what we already knew in the second one in particular and finding it very underwhelming. And so when I went to see The Force Awakens, I had that same feeling of being underwhelmed after watching it because I'd sort of seen it all before in various ways. Um, so I think when I came out of, of the latest film, I was elated because it was different. And I, and I know that sounds really odd. That's why I have to put it in that context was because I didn't want something I'd seen before and I wanted it to be pushed a bit forward. Now looking back, it might have been pushed forward in the wrong way. I also think that when you go to a midnight showing of Star Wars with a very good audience, there is a big atmosphere that almost makes you enjoy it more. And I'll give examples of that. So, you know, when the credits come up at the beginning and there's the massive claps and everyone's cheering, you can't help but get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, when people are laughing, it's only natural to, to laugh with them. And she so had a lot of that. And, you know, during the big fight scene, someone got up and made some very sweary comments. But, you know, people were shouting at the screen, go get it. And, and when I came out, everyone's clapping loud. Everyone's coming out and saying it was just unbelievably good. Now, that is a 12 o'clock in December in cold London Star Wars <laughs> audience. It's going to be biased, right? It's going to be that's, biased. That's, uh, that's strange, though, because um, I saw it in Manchester, um, and I watched The Force Awakens first. Um, the, the cinema that I went to, Odeon at the, the Trafford Centre, they did a double showing. So you saw Force Awakens on the run-up to midnight, and then The Last Jedi after it. and the the mood coming out of there, I was with a group of oof, it's probably about eight of us. And there's a couple of people there who were 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 buzzing coming out of it and saying, Wow, wow, that was that was really good that and there was this and there was this and then there were a couple of us that were more muted and it was a case of I need to really digest that because that was disappointing and I didn't expect that and that wasn't a movie that I ever thought I'd see out of Star Wars and and we were very much a split group which was a little bit strange just walking out of that and there's um, a friend of mine called Scott um, who one day will be be on here I think uh, um, and we we talked about it in the car. We, we both drove different directions. He drove south, I drove north. But we were both on hands free, I, I hastened to add. Um, <laughs> and we were discussing it. Um, and both of us were, what do you make of that? Well, I, I don't know. It was, it was a bit strange, really. And what, what have they done to Luke? And, and it, it was disappointment. And we didn't have that elation in the cinema in the same way. I cannot... It doesn't feel like we have that. Yeah, I, 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 and I think that would. I, I think the audience you're in, because I mean, I'm sure we've all been to what four, five, probably of them now at midnight. The audience does definitely um, have a psychological impact on how you perceive certain parts of the film the first time you watch it. Uh, or maybe I'm just weaker of mind in that way. <laughs> no, but, um, I, and, you I, know. I, and the second and third time, you know, there was less laughs for the same bit, put it that way. Yeah. Because I think people had seen it before and were sort of questioning it a bit more. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. I So I obviously saw the film, I saw it in Amsterdam, um, which sounds a bit strange, but I was in Holland for work. Um, and I watched it the day after it was released here in the UK. Um, so I was getting a lot of abuse from Dave, like, hurry up and watch it, please. I, I want you to... Uh, <laughs> I need to talk to I you about to, this. I need to get your opinion on this. Um, and so I watched it. Now, in in Holland, a lot, all the films are shown in English, but they have Dutch subtitles. So it wasn't a translation problem or anything like that. I, what was the light sword called? <laughs> <laughs> a light shaver. No, um, <laughs> that was my bad, impl- bad, my bad Dutch accent there. I need there. to apologise to Tully for that. <laughs> um, so anyway, I there were elements of the film where I'm sitting there and I've literally said, what on earth is this? And I think the guys sitting next to me in the cinema must have been thinking, who's the crazy Englishman in the cinema? Um, and I then let the film finished and I stepped out of the cinema. I put my phone up, turned my phone on and I sent Dave a message saying, I, I don't know what I've just watched. Um, I genuinely think that was my initial reaction. Um, and I said, I'll message you back in about 15, 20 minutes once I've digested this movie. Um, it's now middle of March and I still haven't digested it properly. Uh, it's it's kind of those kind of films. And I think for me, to your point, Ali, I think that contrast that to when Dave and I saw Rogue One together uh, last year uh, at midnight. We both <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed the film, right? It was such a good movie. What would you have given it out of 10? Well, Rogue One. Oh, no, no, the, 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 the latest film. Oh, right, uh, The I'm, Last Jedi. I'm looking at the text you sent me as soon as you read it, watched it. I think I said about six and a half. Yeah, seven and a half. Yeah, but then I saw it again. That's just yeah. why I'm wondering if that's what's happening more and more. Yeah. Is all we think about it. The instant reaction is good. No. <laughs> <laughs> apart from... Apart from, apart from like, Apart from Dave and the band of eight in Manchester, but but yeah. um, I just I just think the more we talk about this, we're not even actually talking about scenes, and we're able to pull it apart. Yeah, I yeah. I think when I saw it the second time, so I saw it uh, a few days later with my wife, um, and you know she she enjoyed it, uh, but she's obviously not as engrossed in it as I am, and I, I walked out of it the second time, and I was like. Yeah, it's definitely not as good as the first time. Uh, and the first time was questionable. Um, I tolerated certain parts of it a bit more. Um, I knew the bad humour was coming, so I kind of didn't laugh when everyone else did, which was a bit strange. But nevertheless, it still kind of left that impression on me that I was I was sitting there thinking, I, I don't know. No, this, this is a weird film for me. Um, and so the reason why I asked you what your first reaction was, Ali, just to go back to that that question was because you obviously touched on that there are things that you've changed your kind of view on and, and your approach to the film is a little bit different. So before we kind of get to that, what part of it still, what part of it do you still like, if that makes sense? <laughs> he says he says with an incredulous tone. I was going to say, Mr. Drew. Put you do on you know the spot there, mate, I know, but... Go on. I, well, I, I, I mean, I, I have to go back to, to parts of my article. I and, and I and I'm sort of repeating myself as well. I, I personally did not feel 
that the Force Awakens moved the story on in any way. It just rehashed a lot of stuff I'd seen before. And I, and I found it hard to engage with the characters initially, um, particularly Ray and Finn. I just, I don't know why I didn't, I didn't click with them instantly. And I found it quite hard. And actually, I, I probably find it hard to click with Finn now after the last film. But I, but I get Ray more now. <laughs> um, and I just, I, was, I just wanted something a bit different. I wanted to see where Star Wars could go because, I mean, I, at some point I'd like to touch on the Clone Wars and, and some of the things that we saw in there that we see in this film. And, you know, I think, I think the problem in a way is, is that the Clone Wars really raised a lot of my hopes and expectations in the expanded universe in terms of, because I didn't read the books, I wouldn't know what Twilight is about, I do because of that universe. And I'd seen all these beautifully rendered animals, these amazing new contraptions, machines, all this kind of thing. And then I got taken back to Nostalgia Fest. And actually, I watch it now, and it's a really good film, and I enjoy it. But on the, type, on the day, I was disappointed. And I was really glad to go through a journey where it was twist, 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 turn, turn, turn. Because I wasn't trying to pick it apart. I was just going along for the ride of what it was. I just which, wanted which, to... Which, which film? The last one that you... That last Jedi. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there is no doubt there's a, there's a lot of twists, like, good and bad, you know? I mean, no one would have predicted Snoke was going to get killed off. No one. Like that. Spoiler alert. Uh, I think we're yeah, a bit past that. But do you know what I mean? But then you see something like Leia flying out and you think, what the hell is that? And so I was prepared to tolerate um, Star Wars science, let's call it that, um, in some ways. And, and just because I wanted to go along with a good film. Um, but it's, it's as you become, and that's why I made the point right at the start, that I think different degrees of fandom will enjoy it in different ways. And the more you enjoy Star Wars and the more you like it, and to be honest, since I've been talking to you gents more, I've sort of taken more of an interest into the lore and looked into it a bit more. And that's where I find more of the holes. That's an interesting comment. So would you, would you I might be generalising way too much here, but would you envisage that then the fans who have a, have a deeper sentimental connection with the franchise can see the flaws more than the average i'm using air quotes here the average cinema goer yeah i'd say they'd get them but i'd go further than that actually i'd say they'd get them first time like dave did whereas if you are a casual film goer i think even after two or three times you'd, you'd notice the flaws in it but i mean i can only take a string pole of my friends in the office that that i work and everyone loves this film no one has ever said a bad word about it because they treat it as a film and they're willing to forgive inaccuracies. It's interesting. Plus I've never seen it once. See that yeah, see that's that's another interesting point, isn't it? That the more you see something, the more you can kind of see in between the gaps. Now, generally speaking, because Dave's only seen this film once and he saw through the gap straight away. Um, but I think that's an interesting point because obviously as, as fans, you know, I've seen the prequel trilogy, the sequel trilogy, Rogue One and The Force Awakens, God knows how many times. I own each of them on Blu-ray, DVD, VHS for the originals. Mm. Yeah, I bet you, we all do. <laughs> you know, um, 
Whereas with The Last Jedi, I've seen it twice. The next time I watch it again will probably be if I'm on a plane that's longer than two and a half hours and there's a movie on it. It's not one of these films that I'm going to kind of, I don't know. I, I want to watch it because I'm hoping that every time I watch it again, it might prove me wrong. Um, because it's it's Star Wars and I love everything about it. I mean, there are elements of The Last Jedi that I do love. That love is probably a bit strong. Like, um, the character growth of Kylo Ren for me is one of the things that does stand out. And I, and I touched on this on the, on the review podcast that Dave and I did. So I think that in itself kind of is another reason why I want to watch it more because I like Kylo Ren as a character. Um, I want him to put his mask back on because he looks better that way. Um, but nevertheless, as that is the one big takeaway from it. And I think as a, as a hardcore fan, I will buy it on Blu-ray because I'm a collectioner, collector, collectioner, Jesus Christ. Um, I collect everything and anything Star Wars, right? I've got... You don't write anything, do you? No, no, no. I'm a nerd. I do the techie stuff. I write in code. Uh, (laughs) um, Does he, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I've got action figures from The Last Jedi. You know, I've got a Praetorian Guard. I've got the Stormtrooper. What's it called? The Executioner or the... Whatever it's called. The new Stormtrooper. You know, I've got these things in my collection because I like them. But the movie itself, I don't know when I'm proactively going to sit down and want to watch it again. To, to, okay, to take that a little bit further, then in in two ways here, um, to to take that thought a little bit further. From Ali's perspective, this film was, to some extent, correct me if I'm wrong, vanillaed to some extent to make it appeal to a wider audience. Is is that? Yeah, agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Okay, okay. I get that. That that sort of makes sense. However, look at the box office takings from The Force Awakens. Now, no matter what, a Star Wars movie is going to go mental at the box office. It's going to go mental at the box office because the hype is there, because the legacy is there, because the history is there. So it's going to get mass market appeal. I mean, this film flopped in China, the same as every other Star Wars film in recent history has. But that aside, the it was always going to do big box office in its opening weekend and for the next few weeks. Irrespective of whether it was an uber Star Wars movie or whether it was a vanilla version of Star Wars. It's funny you say that, Dave. I, just, before we came on, just before we came on air, um, I, I got some updated stats on how this film is performing, or has performed, whatever you want to call it. So as of today... This film was made $1.3 billion globally. In the ranking of movies and, and how much they've made, it's ninth in the world, right? <clears throat> Black Panther, just to give you a comparison, has been out for less time, obviously under the Disney bracket, even though it's Marvel, Lucasfilm, whatever. That is 14th in the world, but has made $1.18 million billion dollars so it sits only literally point what a hundred million dollars under the last jedi now nobody no legacy yeah so nobody would have predicted it's a marvel film marvel films do well generally and i'm generalizing here (laughs) in the collective let's look at the avengers avengers age of ultron when the superheroes get together that's 
generally when a Marvel film goes crazy at the box office. Compare that to Black Panther. Now, Black Panther has been an overwhelming success for a variety of different reasons. Um, but nevertheless, compare that to a film as entrenched in pop culture, as in media, as Star Wars, and it's only done $100 million less. Um, now, $1.3 billion isn't nothing to be knocked. That's a huge amount of money, let's be honest. But compare something like Black Panther, and you have to argue even though it isn't a short sum of money, it hasn't done that well. Or has Black Panther just overperformed? Where, where was The Force Awakens in this? Oh, the Force Awakens is like second. Third. Third, third just yeah. after the Titanic and Avatar. But that made two, over, that yeah, made over two, two, yeah, $2 billion. So, so you've, okay, so, so to go back to this point then, if, if Disney have gone down the route of trying to appeal to a mass market, what they're actually going to do is undermine the cultural and legacy impact of appealing to the original fan base. And the original fan base, I'm not talking about just the people who were the original trilogy, which, which is where I sit, but also the people who got on board during the prequels and decided, let's go and have a look at the original. Wow, I actually really love this, and let's carry on. So you've got fans of all different ages. So it's, it's not just, I'm not just saying that the, the Uber fans are the original trilogy fans. I'm saying that the, the Uber fans are people who... For wherever they entered this this franchise, they've loved it and made it part of their what they do and how they enjoy life and how they experience things. So those are the Uber fans. Those Uber fans are the ones that have kept the Star Wars franchise at the top of its game. It's not your vanilla people who will go and watch it once and think, yeah, that was a great movie. What's on tomorrow night that I can go to the cinema for? That's not what is going to make Star Wars money. Because yeah. if they carry on doing that as a, as, a, as a model, it will get a weaker and a weaker and a weaker to the point where it's just a humdrum movie. Is that really what Disney want to do with Star Wars? Is that really going to make the money out of um, Star Wars World? I mean, I, I take away two things from what you said, Dave. There, which, which I think, I think, weighed what you're saying. Actually, one of the reasons it's obviously done a lot less this time is because someone like you has only gone and seen it once. And and I also didn't go back and take my sons, which is what I've done yeah. with the previous movies. And I've gone back repeated times and taken my sons. So that's that's three lots of takings, three yeah. or four times. And judging by the figures, I think it's it's safe to presume that goes for. a a number of people. I mean, I think I went and watched The Force Awakens maybe five times. Mm. I think I went to this one three times. So even I, even I, someone who thought it was, you know, good, didn't go back as many times. The, the other thing is, which, because um, I'm just, I'm just looking at this, the figures. I do think the first one will be slightly inflated because there was such a big gap between the two films. And also, if you're gonna do a, a figure-on-figure comparison. I think you need to do the same with um, the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and yeah. actually the figures are about. It was the same. Yeah, it was. Well, it was about half the same as before. Uh, so you, there's, you there's that anticipation of waiting <clears throat> for a new thing, and then by the time the second one comes along, the hype isn't as big. I think the ca- for me the counter argument to the to the to the prequel trilogy was that 
look, let's let's take if you want to compare the Phantom Menace and the Force Awakens, they are very different films. Um, to your point earlier on, Dave, the Force Awakens is incredibly similar. There's a lot of beats that are very similar to A New Hope. Um, it's kind of brought Star Wars back into the main consciousness of society in that respect. Now, The Phantom Menace also did that, but it wasn't the film that a lot of people were expecting. Um, no. And a lot of people came out of The Phantom Menace saying this this was a poor movie. Yeah, which I, I disagree with, but anyway. Um, I, I prefer Phantom Menace to The Last Jedi, um, for instance. Oh, yes. Um, yes. But nevertheless, it's a very different movie in that this was the beginning of of a, of a literally you can argue the Phantom Menace is the beginning of Star Wars. Let's let's put it bluntly. Yeah, and hence the reason why it's Episode One. Um, that kicked it all off, and the reaction to the fans was that this wasn't the film that they were kind of expecting. Yet when that happened, there was a lot of people that didn't kick off the way the Last Jedi has. Now maybe it's because social media wasn't as as prominent. I don't know, but you didn't get that reaction in that oh. You, you shouldn't be so delicate and precious about your trilogy, you know, this, that, and the other. There wasn't that kind of level of argument. And I think that kind of hit the knock-on effect because that actually happened with The Phantom Menace. The Attack of the Clones didn't perform as well because, again, there wasn't that type of film. Whereas when you compare The Force Awakens, The Force Awakens is a Star Wars film. It's incredibly similar to A New Hope. There are so many things that are relevant. That's the reason why it made so much money because you get the continual repeat viewings like we, like we just touched on. Whereas with this, The Last Jedi, that's obviously not going to do as well, but it'll be interesting to see what the effect of Episode Nine will be. That's what I was going to say, because the facts are, they're there. Yeah. The fact is, is that the second trilogy had a massive drop-off from the second film, and it's happened again with this film. Mm. And it, But it then picked up on Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, but I mean, also, we have to put in context that when The Phantom Menace was released, it was the second biggest grossing film ever, yeah. so it did incredibly well. Where, again, you know, Force Awakens is third largest, you know, um, yet let's compare uh, rate of inflation, so that's another way films get <laughs> kind of looked at. Um, rate of inflation, The Last Jedi is 41st in the world. For like adjusted for rate of inflation, right? It sits in the middle, kind of between Rogue One, which is 59th, but then the next Star Wars film going up the food chain is The Phantom Menace in 18th in the world, you know. So it's, it's an interesting comparison because you've got different approaches to different films, and different fans have had different feelings. And I'm I'm really eager to know where the hell episode nine is gonna go, both from a story perspective, but also also from a commercial perspective as well. Well to to, to link into the other part of why do why does this why did Disney pay four billion pounds for Lucasfilm? Why did Disney pay four billion pounds for Star Wars? It's to make money. That's the that is the overriding goal of what they want to do. Yes, entertainers on there side but to make money so the other the other impact for me that's a poor 
movie, in my view, of, of The Last Jedi has done. It was, it was my birthday on Monday of this week. Mm-hmm. And last weekend, um, rather than an actual gift from my wife, um, she gave me cash and said, go out and spend, um, which was great because I live just outside Manchester, one of the, the largest cities in the UK. Um, so we went into Manchester. And in my head, I'm thinking, right, I'm going to buy Star Wars stuff, because that's what I'm going to buy. I've, I've, I've got a collection. I've got a collection. Mm. I, I took photographs of it last night. It's the first time I've done that for a while. I've got over 400 pieces of Star Wars memorabilia, whether that's small figures through to life-size props, um, whether that's books and comics, whether that's a cardboard cutout and artwork. I've, I've got over 400 pieces. So you're not really a big fan and so, of Dave. I'm not. I'm not a big, no, I'm not not big fan. But, <laughs> but I went into Manchester thinking, right, okay, there are certain places I will go to because I know where I can pick up my Star Wars fix. Um, and they tend to be uh, comic shops, they tend to be places like the Planet, they also tend to be um, the Disney store itself, they'll, they'll be um, places like the Entertainer, so so there's there's a variety of places I can go into, you can't go into anywhere without seeing something with Star Wars brand on, to be fair, but, so I went looking, and I saw branding, that was The Last Jedi, on items, and I just ignored them. That's that's not in my head. I'm already editing out the Last Jedi, and I don't want. I've got one piece in my collection that is from the Last Jedi, and that was the Lego set for the um, First Order Heavy Walker, and I bought that on Force Friday when it was first released, before I'd seen the movie. Um. Because I normally do get something on Force Friday, and after that, I thought, no, I'll wait for the movie, and I'll start looking and thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll get the executioner. Once I've seen the movie, I'll, I'll get the executioner. Yeah, well, Praetorian Guard looks pretty cool. Yeah, I'll go, for, I'll go for that because I've got, I've got a, a range of the Disney elites, all of the Force Awakens ones. I've got a range of the Black series where I've got pretty much all of the Imperial stormtroopers and, and that's a particular focus of my collection is it's the armor and the, the armored characters. And I've seen the Praetorian Guard. No, I'm not interested. It's, it's in the fossil. It's in the last Jedi. And to be honest, I'm not certain I want something from that movie in my collection. And that's really sad. I, I understand how sad that is. Um, yeah, <laughs> ended up coming out of Manchester with one thing, and that was a Black Series figure that was Princess Leia from A New Hope that just happened to be in the entertainer for £15. So I had, I had over 100 quid in my pocket, and I spent £15 and bought a Black Series figure. So not a very successful shopping day for you. It wasn't, it wasn't. But a worrying trend for Disney as well, mm. like Dave says. Because well, that's, that's my that's, argument. Uh, that's, you know, that's your... The thing is, I, I don't see a film being that bad like stops most kids in a playground having a Star Wars backpack or something like that. But that's not what you should worry about if you're Disney. You should be worrying about fans like you who are 
are not prepared to spend their money in that way. Um, and it's interesting, the more that we discuss this, the more Disney is coming up. And so if you think about it in terms of just because we've literally just spoken about revenues from films, calculate in my head, that's $4.2 billion in box office receipts. Now, I know films cost X amount, marketing and stuff. But Disney can't be far off already making a profit of their purchase. Oh, no, they've done that already. Yeah, hands down, they've done it already. Um, when you look at the overall output, but then you look at the fact that 2.2 for Force Awakens, 1.4 for Royal Last Jedi, uh, what was it about? Nine, eight, nine hundred million dollars for Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah. You know, you're looking at four billion there. Let alone the product that they've sold and yeah. shift, shifted. Uh, Force Awakens is a huge thing now. Um, thankfully, Force Awakens, Force Friday, sorry, is now an yeah. international event. I remember the first Force Friday when it came out in September of 2014. I think it was. I was in Japan. Um, I was in Tokyo on Force Friday, and it was massive. Even, I mean, Japan is a, is a massive Star Wars market. You know, Tokyo's had its own celebration. Um, and they know what lightsabers are as well, not laser swords. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed they do. But, you know, the, the, the whole merchandise thing has actually taken Disney well over that initial outlay. And then when you look at the amount of money that Disney are actually going to input to the Disney parks in California... Florida and now Paris. Paris are getting a mini Star Wars land that the way they've got in Florida and um, California. You know that Disney are now actually making money off Star Wars, which is huge and very similar to Marvel. You know they they outlaid four billion dollars for Marvel, yet they're well and truly over the four billion dollars for that. So they're now making money hand over fist. But isn't that isn't that in a way slightly worrying if if the Star Wars films become almost supplemental to the profit-making through other means. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. the whole point of a Star Wars film is to get a 10-year-old to buy a backpack and want to go to Disneyland with their parents. Yeah. It's, that is Disney's marketing plan, though, isn't it? It is. When, you look, when is. you look at the way that Disney work, their history has been the Disney princess, and they've made the Disney princess model make them billions mm. the, Disney, the, the, the Disney princess model is basically entrance young little girls with a story that anybody can be a princess and sell them a dress and a wand yeah yeah we are well yeah yeah Dave your, your story about your unsuccessful birthdays kind of sucked the life out of me a little bit <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> I feel really bad for you. It's like you know, I do too. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Dave. Um, no, but you know, it, it does emphasise an incredibly valid point that the last when you compare the Force Awakens, the amount of product that we looked at that I I, I bought more than my fair share from the Force Awakens. Oh, oh, god! Um, I know you did. <laughs> I bought my yeah. fair share for Rogue One as well. Let's be yes. honest. But then yes. with Last Jedi, I have bought a few bits, but my collection is not the Last Jedi heavy, let's be honest. Um, and some of the artwork that's come out for the Last Jedi, I'm not, I'm a massive artwork fan, you know. I, I have collections mm. from ranging from posters to canvases to street art. Um, and 
The Last Jedi will never feature, I don't think, in my art collection unless, I mean, somebody buys me a gift, I'm not going to say no, right? But it's one of those things that it's not going to be something that I seek out. And I'm not blaming Disney for that, not at all. Um, I'm, I want to blame Ryan Johnson because it's, it's his film. Um, it is his film. But then again, to the conversation we had earlier, you've got Kathleen Kennedy that's kind of just sat there on the sideline and watched it happen. Should she have got involved? Maybe she did. Maybe she pushed him down his direction. Who knows? And there's certain things we will never know about the making of a film and its production. Um, but nevertheless, you've got two key figures. And Ryan Johnson's now got a trilogy to work with. That, that just worries the that, hell out of me, though. Uh, yeah, that's going to be. A, I was going to ask a question to the two of you: is that you know, uh, Dave? I know where you're going to go with this, but are you looking forward to that trilogy? Now, granted, we don't know anything about it, but when it comes to Ryan Johnson and Star Wars, in my mind, and definitely in your mind, Dave and Ali, your changing mind, it's not a success. <laughs> Maybe it'd be better with characters that. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't have to vandalise. Yes, I, that's what I was going to say as well, actually. As long as they're all waving laser swords, then then we're happy. And drinking green milk. Yeah, straight from the seal. Can we can we just touch a little bit more? Because I realise we've already been talking for an hour. On an hour and seventeen minutes. Yeah. On Rian stroke Ryan Johnson, and yes. and earlier when I said about. I've just got this feeling that he's picked up a load of books and picked out things that he likes in them and sort of turned it into a film with obscure things like forced projection, etc. I mean, I'm sure you saw that quite famous tweet now when people were moaning about it and he showed it in an obscure I've path. got that book. I've got yeah. that book. So have you, Alex. The Jedi Path. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And as Alex and I discussed, it was, it was in Rebels as well. But what I find is when, when we look back and... Sorry, I am Googling as we speak. No. Light swords is something Count Dooku said in the films. It's not the first time. So there you go. And I didn't know that until that. Yeah, Count Dooku mentioned light swords in, um, in uh, the third film of uh, the prequels. So, so it's, nothing, it's nothing new. And what, and what fascinated me, Dave, um, is I'm, I'm currently going back and watching uh, Clone Wars again. And I've just watched the first series. And in the 19th episode, and I want to bring this up particularly because I think it not only proves your point, but actually disappoints me in some ways, is that, that one of the main scenes in it is Anakin Skywalker crashing a starship into the battle droid centre to knock out all the droids. Yes. Pretty much like we saw in The Last Jedi. And, and then they pretend that it's never happened before. It has happened before. And indeed in that episode they show you the bombers and the bombs that you see in the last jedi mm. so what i mean by this is is i almost feel and, and i'm not saying what happens with it is necessarily good afterwards what i'm saying to you is it's like a kid who's got a painting and has spotted a few things plagiarized it and then tried to make it their own without really thinking about why is it there the context of it yeah exactly and so, you know, I, I, when I saw that, I immediately Googled, has anyone else watched this? And loads of people are saying, yeah, it's in that episode. Mm. I might and, have to go back to the first season again. And, that, and it, mm. it was actually partly because when, when Alex and I were discussing on our Rebels Roundup, um, things that I spotted that were in Rebels and then you see later in the film, it, just, it does feel 
to me that not only are they sort of butchering history, or as Alex said, completely destroying it, but actually in some ways they're going back, finding obscure bits of it and trying to make a consistent narrative out of it, which is just nonsensical. Well, we when we did our podcasts, part one, part two, about The Last Jedi, um, we, we I, I think we, we fairly unanimously came to the agreement that superficially it was a Star Wars movie in that it had all the bits and pieces that you would say a Star Wars film should have. Yeah, you did. But they were so badly put together that it didn't feel like a Star Wars movie. It was superficially a Star Wars movie, but it wasn't at its heart a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Do you know what I'd almost like to do, actually, is, is watch that film again with you, Alex, some, someone who's a massive fan, and literally go through it and say, why is this here? Why is this here? That makes no sense. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I'd quite like to do that in a way. It's, it's, funny, it's funny you said that, because you know, in the past, Dave and I and, and, and our other Jedi Council members have kind of discussed having a a podcast where we do like a, an audio commentary. Uh, so mm. either we're in the same room or, or we do it digitally. We, we line up a film on Blu-ray. We all press go at the same time. But instead of having uh, the, the sound on, um, we have our conversation about the film as it goes. Um, that would take our podcasts way over two hours which we've never done before but we're pretty pretty, pretty close to be fair <laughs> but i think we'd um i think we'd definitely exceed that and i think that could be something that we could do with with the last jedi and i'd happily do it once it's out on blu-ray yeah yeah because i just i just feel that they they shoehorned things in there for sometimes almost a moral reason that they felt that they should come to some conclusion. And by that, I'm talking particularly of your favourite casino world scenes where <laughs> they come off of it and they suddenly say, oh, look, they sell to the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah. That, but that, again... That, and it feels that, like it's just shoehorned in for no reason. But again, that was, which links back to the Kathleen Kennedy promise. And I, it's, it's sad that I'm holding her to a promise that she made in 2013 in front of 2,000 fans. But anyway... Um, it's on it's, YouTube as well. It was the case. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was the fact that she, she again, one of the things that she mentioned that they, they had rationalised out of the feedback from the prequel trilogy was the fact that it was over-politicised. Mm. Um, that politics would were attempted to to put into the story to give the story depth, but ultimately it made the story weaker because it took away from the the actual pace of the story itself. And you did find that. I mean, I think that was was always going to be part of the the anger and the backlash that has been given to the. Um, the prequel trilogy, I'm like the, the very first opening crawl for the Phantom Menace starts with the, the Trade Federation of Blockade in the planet Naboo over a trade trade argument. So you've got exceedingly politicised, and then again for them to bring it into the uh, the end of the Canto Bite piece, why? It yeah. didn't really add a lot to the story yeah. and it added a layer of complexity to a story that didn't need that type of complexity 
It needed a decent storyline that actually went from A to B, but it didn't need that type of complexity put into the middle that wasn't attached to any other part of the movie. I, I agree. Because I, I, I personally, and, and my, my favourite film is Revenge of the Sith on Novelty, but I liked, I liked the politicisation and the mm. layers of it. But for me, it was very forced in the last film and just disjointed. So if you're going to have politics in there, have it as a running theme. Don't yeah. just pretend that it's there because we need to make a moral statement about something, which is what I kind yes. of felt like it was. I mean, when you look it at was. The, when you look at the Force Awakens, when Starkiller Base destroys the Republic, Ooh. if you arguably politics take is taken out of that film straight away, there shouldn't be any further mention because you've literally got the First Order destroying any element of political reign that isn't. Coruscant, well, not the, the democracy dies. Yeah, you yeah. know, the only people that are left, that we are made to be aware of, are that band of rebels, as they are then labelled at the end of this movie. Um, and therefore, if they are seen as the rebellion, then technically speaking, there should be no mention of politics whatsoever. Now, that might be me being very cynical or, or very simplistic, but to your point, Ali, the shoehorning and shoehorning of things into this film is... Yeah, unnecessary. The the politics. There was no need for that. The the moral the moralistic things in this film, again, you start to think, well, he, they're taking out Sith and Jedi. They're completely removing good versus bad in, in a very black and white sense. Yet they're now going down the path of, well, you know, war is a bad thing. It, it's like make your mind up. Yeah. Don't don't have the, the premise of erase everything that you know and then bring up something completely different that it doesn't work. Absolutely right. And, and I think that, that that disjointedness also can be seen in things like how does a character know another character? And lots of things, you know, about how did they just stay at the same speed with two cruisers? Why didn't they just <laughs> add another ship in front of it? To blow oh. it up? Oh. Makes no sense. It makes absolutely no, no sense. It's completely disjointed. And that's why... Um, so, so my initial premise is, is I like it as a film, as a piece of art, but when you dig even slightly into the surface, you're like, this character doesn't link with this character, this doesn't make sense because it's easily changed if someone did a very simple thing. And I think that's the problem with this film. It's it's funny you say that and mention that scene in particular. Um, so earlier on this weekend, I managed to pick up a copy of the book uh, the Last Jedi, um, incredible cross sections from DK. Now, it's a really good book for for many reasons. Um, I love the DK books. I've got loads of them for Star Wars, and they really go into a huge amount of detail that, that I really like about vehicles, about lightsabers, etc. But the reason why I'm bringing that up now is the premise of the scene where Kylo Ren goes out in his Tie Silencer and is accompanied by Tie Fighters. There out of range of being protected by the shield from the name of the ship that I can't remember. Oh, the First Order's flagship. Yeah, that one. So they're out of range of being protected by the shield. Therefore, they have to come back to stay within the protection and then they'll eventually get them through this really stupid plan. So I'm reading the cross-sections and they have a page... Uh, dedicated to the TIE Silencer. Now, I've got this in Lego. I haven't built it yet, but 
um, I, I'm a massive fan of the ship, and as I touched on earlier, I'm, I'm a massive Kylo Ren fan. So I'm reading it. I'm looking at all the different bullet points of what the, what the ship can do. And at the back, it has a shield generator <laughs> and a shield... Um, at, well, I can't remember the other thing. Is something else to do with the shield. But nevertheless, that single ship has a shield generator. So why it couldn't continue on its mission, because let's be honest, he took out part of that hangar incredibly well. Um, yeah. And ironically, the two TIE fighters that he is with are in the cross-section as well. And according to this cross-section book, those TIE fighters have been advanced and also have shields on them. So the whole concept of them being brought back because they can't stay on the ship, I mean, let's let, look at the TIE fighter. The one of them actually took out the whole front of the ship that Princess Leia was on, Admiral Akbar was on, that led us to get Mary Poppins' Princess Leia. Um, so the whole concept and the idea about that story that they can't stay out there to do more damage is flawed by their own book. Which, I mean, that, that scene in so many ways was wrong because you, you've got... You've got the First Order have destroyed the hangars with all of the fighters on for the the Resistance. So the Resistance have got no fighter cover. So they're, they're left with their capital, three capital ships at that point, that are uh, being chased by... I'm guessing, because it's been a few months since I've seen the film now, but there's, what, ten capital-class First Order um, yeah. destroyers chasing them? There's loads Something of them. Something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, so that's... okay, okay. So according to Wikipedia, um, each of those star destroyers has a complement of 145 Tie Fighters. <laughs> 145 of the things. So you're looking at a thousand four hundred Tie Fighters. A thousand four hundred. <laughs> I want to say that again. A thousand four hundred Tie Fighters. Yeah. And you've got the First Order who don't give a monkey's about yeah. individuality and because they, they by the sound of it they brainwash they take children they brainwash them and make them into soldiers so we're not talking about individuals that the the first M, uh, the first order has any love for they're cannon fodder they're troops to to achieve a victory you've got a thousand four hundred individual tie fighters yeah you could just what? You got no. thousands of them. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm sorry, <laughs> no, but but there is a is it's not it's but it's an agreement, but it is a slight but. The the name of the ship actually is important. It's the supremacy, isn't it? Oh, that's and the one. So, yes, no and ship. so you need that symbolization of the supremacy being cut in half. Yeah, you, you, you just know that that's the thinking behind it, which is ridiculous and wrong. Yeah, Ryan Johnson wanted to destroy something in a different way. Yeah, and they wanted to make it called something like supremacy, you know, something big and grand. And mm. yeah, just wanted to make that point. No, no, that's that's fine. That it, a, it was a Ryan Johnson point, yeah. decision because he wanted to blow up the supremacy in a different way. Yeah. Although, just another thing that I picked up from this book that really didn't occur to me until I read it was that obviously the ship that um, that is used to make that decisive point in that particular battle. Um, the Radus. The name of the ship is named after... It's after Radus. Yeah. I didn't, I from, didn't twig. From Rogue One. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 Calamari, the Mon Calamari um, 
general who basically took out Scarif for for want of a yeah. better word. And I didn't, I did the, the two names just didn't twig for me whatsoever until I read that book. I was like, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, very strange. But that, that's the reason why I love these books as well. The, the small intricate details that you can pick out. Um, well, and they were talking about the the ATM six, um, and the reason why they have their uh, ape like legs at the front to add oh, ex- yes. to have extra stability because of the the extra large gun that they've put on the top, and that's the reason why the legs are that big. Um, and again, these little tiny things that I pick out. I mean, like I said, you know, this isn't my favourite film, but when I read these small bits, and there are there are so much detail that gets put into into the guns, into the way that the ships put together. These books are made up to help the fans, you know, ingest all of this information. But then you get let down by the movie, and you're like, eh. So, chaps, I am conscious that we have been conversing for over an hour and a half. Um, and the interesting thing that I've picked up for this is that, you know, there's there's still a lot of things that the the Last Jedi we disagree on. Uh, but I think it's an interesting way, and, and Ali, your kind of mindset shift, not completely and understandably so, um, to being slightly more appreciative of the counter arguments is interesting because you know on social media today i still see arguments where people call fans who don't like the movie but fanboys that are but hurt and all this you get all the trolls that are coming out you know you just don't understand the film and all that whoop-de-doo um and it's but we're still in a position where now the blu-ray's coming out these debates are happening over and over again even more because people are getting a chance to actually sit down and watch the film when they want to watch it you know we're now getting the extended kind of scenes we're getting the scenes that got cut again which kind of reignites this conversation and i don't think this conversation is going to end until solo because i think solo is just going to start the conversation all over again in a very different way <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm hopeful, I'm hopeful. There, there are there are just because um you were slightly talking about reaction and perception so i sent out a tweet earlier from the jedi council and um, when i was in the hashtags i looked for you know the last jedi and it came up used 50 times in the last hour the last jedi is awful came up 400 times <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay and i and i think that i think that is that is quite pertinent but then we did ask for questions and the view that came back was uh, from Geeky Retro Nerds. Personally, I thought it was good. The director was brave and took risks, which mostly worked, which was my point about seeing it with a different degree of... of um, uh, I don't want to belittle anyone, but, but without thinking about where it's gone in the continuation of the process. Of course, there are elements I didn't like, so everyone always acknowledges that, but that goes for any movie. It certainly wasn't perfect. So I think people people are still able to say director took risks, interesting, liked it, didn't like it, within one film. And I've never heard of that before. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Mm. The thing that I, I still don't understand, that I've heard loads of times other people who did enjoy it, was, was this argument that it was a fresh movie, that it, it took it in a different way. And for me, it didn't. There was there was the actual overlying story, and Alex, you you were the first one to actually vocalise this. But 
the overall story itself is Empire Strikes Back mashed into Return of the Jedi, mm -hmm. probably at hyperspace speed. Um, and it wasn't a fresh story. There were twists. I get that. There were twists. No one saw Snoke was going to die the way he died. No one knew that Luke would die at the end the way he died. No one thought that um, Carrie Fisher's uh, well, Princess Leia would display force ability. So there were twists. I, 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 I agree with that. But this wasn't a new story. This was um, a Jedi learner. We won't use the term Padawan because she wasn't. So a Jedi learner goes in search of a Jedi master who lives on their own as a hermit um, in the middle of nowhere, um, other than wild creatures around him, um, hunts out that Jedi for training. That Jedi is initially reluctant, doesn't think that they should do, but ultimately decides to. The Jedi in training goes to a dark place close to the to where they're being trained, where they're given a vision of who they may be or who they may become or where they've come from. That um, Jedi in training then decides to leave the Jedi Master before the training is complete to go and confront the, um, the villain force users um, henchman, for, for want of a better word. Um, so they go to confront that henchman, partly because they think that that henchman may be turned to the good, but also partly because they think that henchman um, is is um, threatening their friends. So that's, that is Empire, basically. Um, At the end of that that part, they, they give themselves up to the henchman of the villain, um, so we, we're now moving into Return of the Jedi. Um, that henchman, rather than deciding to to work alongside the Jedi in training, decides to hand that Jedi in training over to their master in a throne room on their superstar destroying spacecraft. Um, where that evil villain overlord attempts to seduce the Jedi to join them, that fails. Ultimately, the henchman of the villain turns on their master and kills their master, even offers the Jedi the opportunity of joining together to rule the galaxy. Um, and then at the end of the film, the uber super weapon is blown to smithereens. Tell me what was fresh about that. Yeah, the, the what you've just described there, if you'd have laid that out to any Star Wars fan, they'd have gone, that's Empire Strikes Back and that's Return of the Jedi. Throw in the planet that looks like it's snow, but it's actually sand. Uh, yeah, salt. You got Hoth with Atats. Yeah, and you got the Atats. You could argue that Can Canterbite was Cloud City. Exactly. That's where all the the rich people go, and all this, that, and the other. So if you lay that out beat by bit, beat by beat, I should say, you've got Empire Strikes Back, and you've got Return of the Jedi. You haven't got 
The Last Jedi because nobody would associate that because it isn't done as good. <laughs> so what you're saying is is that we've had all of the original series in two films. Yes. So I wonder yeah. what the third one's going to be. It'll be the prequels all in one film. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all three. Beat me to it. <laughs> well, we've got but, the kid. But, we've but got the my, kid. My argument is though, why is this film? Why are fans or general audience members going to the cinema and saying this is a fresh film, a brand new yeah. film? Yeah. It's not. It's it's no more of a fresh film than the Force Awakens was. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that, and again, that's the interesting, divisive part of this film, isn't it? And that you've still got the new scenes. You've got, you know, again earlier on in the, in, the, in the podcast, I made the comparison between uh, Boba Fett and um, what do you call her, Captain Phasma. You know, you've still got the characters that are incredibly similar. You've got DJ, who's going to be the Lando of the of the, <laughs> not as cool, not as sophisticated, and and you know. As, as Lando, but the the way that he is is very similar. You've got the hotshot Poe Dameron, that's like Han Solo. The characters are like for like. There is nothing original. Uh, JJ got absolutely crucified for that with The Force Awakens. And Ryan Johnson's like, oh no, this is brilliant, this is all brand new. It's totally not. But the, the, different, the big difference for me was that The Force Awakens was sympathetic to the originals. Yeah. This wasn't. This was a crass rip-off that took the story and then... Uh, yeah, totally agree. Ripped it up and said, well, I like that bit of it and I like that bit of it. I don't really know how they go together, so I'll just blow them together somehow. And I like that bit and I like that bit and I really don't like that bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and include it and I'll include it badly because I didn't really like it. And it... Yeah, it just ends up this this hideous mashup of a movie. Okay, I think I said the same thing earlier without the word hideous. <laughs> <laughs> so with that with that little bone neatly tied up, um, we have been going for an hour and forty odd minutes, mm. and. It's been a rather good debate, I must admit. It's been good to have you on, Ali. It's been nice to talk about The Last Jedi again. Um, it kind of makes it fresh, especially with the imminent release on DVD, Blu-ray and digital that's coming out very soon mm-hmm. here in the UK. Some of you guys, some of our listeners in the US have obviously had the opportunity to watch it already as it's been out about a week now, give or take. Yep. Um, so I'm going to kind of ask you guys for some for some closing thoughts. Ali is the as the new joiner. Uh, obviously, Last Jedi is the theme. Some closing thoughts for you on the film, mate. Okay, I I think it's very difficult to have original thoughts and concept when it comes to film in general these days. Because I mean, if you look at something like Marvels, when you've got Infinity War coming out very soon, we all know most of the people are going to survive because there's an Infinity War Part Two, and we've we've got a saturation point here where stories. It's difficult to tell them in different ways. That being said, I enjoyed the film because I did think it was different in terms of relationship, tone and pace. But on reflection, I think everything Dave says is completely right and I understand his points of view, but it doesn't stop me from still wanting to watch it again as soon as it comes out and see how much I enjoy it. Done. 
<laughs> Fair point. Dave, some closing thoughts for you, mate. Um, I will get it on Blu-ray because it will complete my collection and I am a collector. Um, and it would look wrong to not have the, the Blu-ray in the middle of my collection. <laughs> um, I will... I will then sit through it and my boys will finally get a chance to see this movie because I'm, I'm not paying for them to go to the cinema to watch something that was so bad. Um, but no, my, my boys will finally get a chance to watch it. So I'll be able to discuss it with them and see what they thought of it and, and what have you. I agree with Ali in that it was a visually stunning movie. It was attractive. It was superficially it was Star Wars. Um, it looked the part. It looked the part. It was it was a glorious movie, and I could understand why it did well with critics who were not necessarily fans. And mm. I understand why a vanilla approach to Star Wars will still have traction. But I do think that long term Disney will will not reap the benefits of keeping the original spirit of the, the movies alive. If they want to tone it down, then they will shed the Uber fans who really are the ones who are making the money. They, they need to try and appeal to that Uber fan still. Otherwise, it will just become another, oh, there's another sci-fi movie out at the moment. All oh, right, which one's that? Oh, it's a, it's a Star Wars one, I think. And, and surely that isn't what Disney wants to achieve. They, they want the, it's a Star Wars movie. It's out next week. I've already got my tickets. I just want to agree with Dave and just say that I think his early appraisal, which he did make on a previous podcast, well, it has all the elements of a Star Wars film, but isn't quite a Star Wars film. It's the, it's the best appraisal I've heard so far. Thank you. Awesome. Didn't expect that, did you, Alex? <laughs> um, I must admit, for the last hour and 45, I thought this podcast has been incredibly civil. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was, And I'm absolutely delighted with that, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the film is divisive. It is, it is this minefield of conflicting things, and, um, and it will continue to do so. Uh, you know, I mean, let's be honest. If, if we all agreed about the same things, would we think it's a boring topic? Actually, probably not. We still talk about it for four hours, let's be honest. <laughs> but for very different reasons. Um, but, I, yeah, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see where episode nine goes. But before that, we do have Solo. We have an upcoming potential Star Wars TV show that's coming out. We need to have something in place of Rebels. So the, the Star Wars conversation will continue to flow. Uh, mm. And I want to thank you both for, for for being on the show. You know, we are the Jedi Council as a collective. We are here to talk about Star Wars, good, bad, ugly, CGI fest, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> so if you want to hear more... Frankenstein the, movie. <laughs> back to that comment from the initial podcast, the Frankenstein movie. That was another great description of the film uh, that you said there, Dave, and I completely agree with that. Um, so just to wrap up, we are the Jedi Council, uh, guys. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Look out for us. We do have our iTunes page. We are on SoundCloud where you'll find our podcasts. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us ramble for another hour and 45, give or take. Um, 
Final words, Ali, anything quickly? No, just, just I'd love to hear some feedback from everyone. It's such a interesting and positive community around Star Wars. And so I really enjoy engaging with like-minded people on Twitter. And I think it's, it's great to have these discussions. So good or bad, I'd love to hear what people think about what we've said. Awesome. Dave? I agree. I'd, I'd love to hear what people think. Please let us know. Um, reach out to any of us as individuals on Twitter or collectively on the Jedi Council. Um, you have our details. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. We will be back on the air very shortly. Look out for our podcasts. And remember... Remember, the Force will be with you always.